Welcome to Behind the White Scarves. One of the strengths of Panther Soul comes from seamlessly bringing together a bunch of variant story ideas, any one of which could have been the basis of its own story. Why introduce a third act mecha? Such a big game changer. I know, Alex, you've talked about the mysterious cities of gold, and obviously there's been some discussion of Thundercats as well in there, but I'm not entirely certain that I was prepared for that big a deal when it suddenly came along. So I'm very curious about what it's supposed to lead into later on, or at the very least, how it's meant to close out the story of Panther Soul in a way other than all of a sudden they have a great big weapon to fight the Albion army with. There's various reasons for it. One of them is uh, quite simply wish fulfillment. When I started uh, working out, okay, I'm going to do my own Thundercats. Uh, <laughs> and that was uh, after the 2011 show because it came and went and sank and nobody cared anymore. It's like, well, I, I guess Thundercats is pretty much done. And and the brief return of uh, that this show in that little kiddie version, Thundercats Raw, that the uh, fans roundly rejected only compounded that feeling that Thundercats is very much a thing of the past. But I, you know, throughout New Century, there's all kinds of cartoons I used to watch in the 80s, which I have sort of reincorporated into my versions of those motifs. I take them only in the broadest, vaguest ways, uh, rather than going, right, well, this character is basically Lionel. Like, even Morg only has a couple of things in common with Mumra, the fact mm -hmm. that she's a giant mummy, for example, but she's a completely different character who I think would actually scare Mumra. <laughs> <clears throat> I can't remember which one it was, and it's possible no one will ever know unless someone gets access to all the old episodes of Through the Wind Door. Somebody mentioned a cat mech i don't know if it was when we were talking about steamheart or when we were talking about tiger's eye or maybe even the princess thieves alex says this came up during an episode of through the wind door but based on what he says next i think he may rather be referring to the old behind the white scarves episodes before we took over those are not available now unless people saved them at the time and even i only ever listened to a couple of them because Alex didn't want to influence our own retrospectives. It's not impossible the discussion of a cat mech came up during one of our early interviews. I certainly don't remember every topic, but it doesn't immediately spring to mind. I think it might have been Loretta was so excited they started talking about Harry could make a cat mech, like a giant Jaeger. And I think I, I, I sort of chimed in with, yeah, yeah, Pacific Rim, but a giant cat. And I was like, no, I wouldn't want this to be harry making it from scratch out of absolutely nothing so i incorporated elements of that including the digitigrade leg movements of harry's first suit that she's specifically making it after Hral, the shadow tiger she was paying close attention in steamheart 
as to how smoothly Hrau moved when she was riding atop her shoulders. Oh man, I <laughs> so, really yeah. want to see Harry's reaction to the Smilotron. <laughs> I'm going to build one of those. <laughs> I, I promise nothing. But um, <laughs> yeah, the the other thing was uh, that I was I've been trying to make allusions to this ancient technology something which has always fascinated me it's it's kind of steampunky but at the same time it uh, it ties in with um atlantean mythology to that end i wanted to have the equivalent of the condor in the mysterious cities of gold uh, animated show that was one of the first big serialized animated dramas that i ever adored <laughs> Bringing it out for a start, obviously it's Voltron, it's the lions in, in Voltron, but also it's the saber-toothed tiger in Power Rangers. It's also kind of like it's it ties in. I think there's Jet Jaguar, or there's some mm. there's various other like kaiju fighting robot things and cats that I uh, I think there's a that's a French Japanese thing called like Golden Lion or something. They're really big on that in Japan. So mm-hmm. combining that with uh, and weirdly, I think I had actually planned this out before I, I had ever seen. The Road to El Dorado, a movie I should have seen on release and would have loved the whole way through. Mm. But there's a giant, like, stone cat jaguar thing in that. Yeah, there is. Right, the one that Zekel Khan brings to life in order to kill, quote-unquote, the gods. But ultimately, the reason that Leah goes with Morg is because she cannot see a way of them to repel the vast weight of the Albion military. Mm-hmm. Like, this is just one small army that has been sent across. Once they start sending an armada, they have no way of defending themselves. This mm. is a game changer, exactly as you say, uh, Gray. And I wanted there to be something that went beyond just the big gauntlet fist thing and something mm. that felt like it could be a beacon for everyone to rally around. So all of these thoughts kind of coalesced in my head and... It felt like like just the Cloudbreaker on its own would be impressive, but it would feel almost like it was one hero. And the Smilotron would feel like the soul of the West, if yeah. that makes sense. Honestly, the closest com- parallel I can draw in another fictional property would be the Divine Beasts in Breath of the Wild. Mm. Both in, yeah, yeah, they definitely yeah. played into that as well. Yeah, just the idea of we have this giant mechanical artificial construct of an animal, but that it has this ancient stone and other indiscernible metals incorporated into it. If Cloudbreaker is the master sword, you still need a divine beast to shoot a giant laser at (laughs) Calamity Ganon to make the difference. 
Oh, and in terms of driving it, I was playing on Flight of the Navigator as well. Just oh, the idea of yeah. the the. <laughs> I love how you both went. Oh, same time. <laughs> you do remember specific... that we both commissioned that show, right? I yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> that was did. one of my Flight favorite of birthday nights. <laughs> yeah. ever. We ended up recording that on our twentieth wedding anniversary, Sharon and I. We were supposed to be uh, meeting in America and uh, and couldn't because it was the right in the middle of the pandemic. But uh, yeah, the fact that Leah ends up driving this thing, you give the cat who has the least control, the least power, something of unspeakable force and see what she does with it. Mm-hmm. And then very specifically, Beatrix had to take over to do something terrible because she didn't want that on Leah's conscience. That lends weight to the idea that this is going to be a group effort rather than just... It's like uh, Leah was using the Smilotron to play a game of Streets of Rage, whereas uh, Beatrix saw Shrike and thought, let me take the controls. I'm going to make this Mortal Kombat. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Fatality. <laughs> I want that in the DLC. Uh, but yeah, uh, I've, I've also figured if I was going to bring this out, it would have to be that when you went back and went through it, it was hiding in plain sight all along. The Smilotron is in that picture of uh, the arc firing, uh, firing out fire, lightning, power guard. It's, mm-hmm. it's there in the background. It is representative of Samar, the god, but like they were painting a real thing that was actually there. And then when they get to the, uh, the, the, the secret room inside the, uh, the, the temple at the, in the middle of the Majara, it shows the blue flame, and everyone's so fixated on the blue flame that they don't notice the fact that that blue flame is standing before this giant carved relief of Samar again. It's like- saying, get through this and you can get to this. Mm. I like mm. the idea of these ancient cultures putting together these artistic depictions of the giant Mecca, and then they go to modern archaeologists and say, you think we were being figurative? Well, yeah, kind of. Like, these things are usually, like, done in riddles and whatnot. It's like, why would we do that? There's a mecha. It's here. Just use that. We're trying to be as direct as possible here. We got to hear on, like, a week-to-week basis some of the stuff that you were doing as you were editing the new episodes to come out on the New Century podcast. How did Panthersol break new grounds in terms of your editing work? Or alternatively, what you were asking for from your cast? There was much more Willow, as you would have noticed. Mm. So I think uh, if you uh, listen to all those outtakes, so many of them are just me and Willow having a fun time finding their character. That's, I think, going to be the abiding memory for me. The Mm. rest was contacting a lot of strangers a lot of people uh who of asian extraction so that i could make sure that there was a sense of authenticity to rama i'm sure i've mentioned this one before but rather than just saying just say these lines i gave them more information than they probably needed i was just thinking on the spot for each of these characters and going right let's give them some flavor and they're things that you won't know at all about the characters well, from just hearing their lines but i believe danny boyle did this with sunshine the mm. uh, the, the various crew members have backstories that we don't 
ever find out about, but all of which inform upon their actions in the film. And I did that for the most meager and minor of characters. I just wanted there to be a sense of, I mean, this was a huge cast in the end. I never defaulted to just, Loretta, could you do this one? And and just sort of like toss them out to the, the main cast if I could help it. Sometimes uh, it was really tight and I had to uh, do, do the uh, role myself. But um, just being able to describe them to people who I, I might never work with again, but were just like, well, okay. And for each of which it was a, a job for a, a nominal fee and... I love the fact, you know, I was able to, to to bring in and bring out of them just these really quirky little performances that uh, that give you like just if you listen back to it and you go, I don't recognize that voice. That's going to be one of them. Like, you know, that, that'll be uh, one of these uh, very kind uh, voice actors who uh, responded on Twitter uh, and, you know, sent in various um, voice samples. That felt like I should have been doing that from the beginning. And obviously, if I'd known the trajectory of New Century, I would have been doing all kinds of things since the beginning. I mean, another reason why it seems to have gotten more and more sexy over the years is because when I was originally writing it, Willow was really, really small. And I kind of wanted Willow to be able to sort of understand what was going on in New Century, especially in the ones that were a bit more kid friendly, like the Princess Thieves. But uh, now Willow's getting to be a teenager and comes up with things that make their mother and I blush. Uh, And I'm like, that is foul. Don't say that, please. (laughs) That would be why it's become uh, a lot hornier in in more recent years, because I can get away with more. But also, as Marvel have staunchly avoided sexiness, and not just Marvel, every. PG-13 rated uh, sci-fi action movie and uh, just stuff that would have back in the day been R-rated or PG-13 and had some boobs in it. The the characters are very passionate, but they're kind of sexless. Like no, nobody just stops and has sex anymore because mm-hmm. everyone in the cinema will be like, I'm really uncomfortable with this. Stop it. My kids are here. I got kids here. Genuinely, I think the road to El Dorado might have more sex in it than the entire MCU. <laughs> Maybe. Certainly in my head. <laughs> that was a very specific choice of word there, Alex. Also, there was a lot more sort of communicating via email and, and giving pointers to the various main cast members. I did a lot less one-to-one stuff this time. It was uh, like, okay, Loretta, you know uh, Beatrix now. You can get to that place in your head. Go for it. I think Theo and I may have done some star dancer stuff together, some some minor stuff early on, but they also very quickly got hold of that character. And Spencer just was like, okay, I'll just I'll be British and just like one take Spencer, just knocked it out of the park. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I didn't really have to get people on the phone, and, and I suppose thank goodness because this thing was very complicated to put together. The result of all of this is that it felt like Rama was more alive than ever because it had that much energy and things that you both saw on the surface of it with just all these different and new voices. But also with, as you say, just the amount of behind the scenes consideration from you and also your trust in each of these disparate components of it that People could just be somewhat with your initial placement of where they needed to be and where they needed to go, but then just being left to their own devices to just kind of create 
their own concoction that could be added to the greater buffet of Panthasol. I remember you saying at the time, Alex, that there was one particular chapter that involved like melding the most disparate sound and music and speech files all at the same time. Was that the big fight at the Oasis or was that later towards the big confrontation in the Sumerian temple? Ooh, uh, I think it was the confrontation in the temple, which originally, if you go back to the first edition of the book, was all narrated by Beatrix. Mm. I ended up splitting that up into Beatrix. Then when it came time for Stardancer to have a real turn, Stardancer, and I don't mm-hmm. believe I hadn't, hadn't had Stardancer originally voicing that. And then Colo reading the Blue Flame with Morg in it at the end. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And around that, because there's so much magic at play and because there's so much horrendous monster fighting and and, and violence and and just mysticism all at play, the whole room had to crackle and spark with sounds. It was very dense. And Mm. I ended up taking, I think, more weeks than normal to get it done. I split it in two. and still took way way longer that was a serious challenge i think it paid off because i think that particular chapter or chapters was probably the most entirely successful feeling of being completely in the place that was being Mm. constructed entirely out of audio you know how i was saying the other day on the discord the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem is possibly the most texture I've ever felt from a 3D digital film. That's kind of what I got from just the audio of that chapter was the sense of I can completely visualize this place and feel every individual component of its space, its heat, all of that just from what I'm hearing here. That was an effort that was only equal in size to the Smilotron, but (laughs) all I can think of whenever you say that, oh, this is the biggest and most labor-intensive compilation of various audio levels that I've ever put together in the history of New Century, all I can think of is just the Simpsons movie of Homer coming in and saying, this is the hardest audio effort so far. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'll ever exceed it, but knowing that I got to that level is enough. Mm-hmm. I think I even said it at the time that I had to hold off listening to specifically those chapters, the thing that was originally one that you split into two, mm-hmm. because I remember how I felt reading it like over a year ago at that point. And thought, okay, if the audio realization of this chapter comes even close to how I felt at the time, this is going to knock me for six, and I can't do all this in one sitting. (laughs) I need to prepare myself for it. Yeah. You talked about challenges a moment ago. What was the most challenging part of bringing Colo to life? What do you think? I have a straightforward, easy answer on this one. What do I think was the most challenging part of bringing Colo to life? Um, I mean, we sort of already established that you had clear ideas. Well, you, you eventually developed clear ideas about 
the arc of Colo and what the shape of his narrative was going to be once you once a few other things fell into place. And of course, I don't necessarily think it's the vocal aspects of it because you've always been very good at that sort of thing. We just talked a minute ago about the many different voices that Colo has. Was it the emotional vulnerability that you had to go to? Because I, I wouldn't necessarily have su- suspected that because uh, when Robin tells us his true name in Princess Thieves, that was pretty emotionally gripping. But what what is your answer? It's the Ali poetry. Mm. Because okay. I'm not Muhammad Ali as much as I would try. And the best I can do is mimic at that point and i needed to uh pay serious respectful homage whilst at the same time giving the character himself his own life through those words and the way they were being said so it's it's very clear if you've seen ali practice his early version of rap mm-hmm. th- that's what i'm doing but it's really hard to get the rhythm and the tempo just right. He really was several kinds of genius at once. And so I could only really achieve that by editing out the bits where I fucked up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it was just, I was amazed that it came together as cleanly as it did in the end. Uh, and I think I had a lot of help from the music and uh, actors around me to, uh, to to really frame that. But... Yeah, that was not only the toughest part of this, it was one of the toughest things I've ever had to do for New Century. That makes complete sense. With a lot of acting, you have to try not to be too overly self-conscious in the sense that you're self-aware of, oh, I need to try to be doing this. You have to actually commit to the preparation you've put into understanding what you're meant to be feeling in the moment and going with that. But when you're doing something which is this deliberate homage to someone else who had famously such a impossible to mimic feeling of electricity. I don't envy the position you were in for that, but and I don't know if either of us are in the position to make definitive statement on the final success of that. Mm. But all we Whether can I say is it. Yeah, all we can say is from our perspective that it was a sincere and completely passionate performance in that, which, and when I say passionate, I don't just mean, oh, he's he's really passionate about doing this. No, I mean that you put yourself into it. You did get to a similar space, even if it was not the same space. And I'm not saying that because I'm secretly trying to say <laughs> this in like sort of polite terms. It's because I don't have that familiarity. And as I say, it's not, my place to say it but you managed to get somewhere that felt completely new and sincere for new century and i loved those moments in the audio drama especially the music choice as you say really just got you nodding along and in a particular rhythm and it helped that i would be often listening to those chapters while on morning jogs so I would find myself actually kind of getting into the tempo of the lines and just kind of weaving and bobbing along to uh, to just duck beneath branches and it had that fire it had that energy. I admit that I I couldn't completely internalize it or understand it 
when I was simply reading the text, and that's nothing against you because there were so many other things in the original text which I was able to internalize very sufficiently. Mm -hmm. But once you told me what you were drawing upon, I made a point of going to see Ali. And the second I saw Will Smith doing the Ali thing in front of me, Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I get it now, I do. Y'all wanna lose your money? Then bet it on Sonny. (laughs) He know I'm great, I will, he will fall in eight. See that bit where I went, I will? I would have edited that out. (laughs) (laughs) We are all too familiar with the process of editing out our fuck ups. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, absolutely. For those that have never experienced either Ollie's conversational rhyming or seen Will Smith trying to capture it in the movie, I now provide a sample of each to compare to what Alex put in the audio drama. But he hit harder than George. His reach was longer than George. He's a better boxer than George. And I'm better now than I was when you saw that 22-year-old undeveloped kid running from Sunday Lister. I'm experienced now, professional. Jaws been broke, been lost, knocked down a couple of times. Bad, been chopping trees. I done something new for this fight. I done wrestled with an alligator. That's right. I have wrestled with an alligator. I done tussled with a whale. I done handcuffed lightning, throw thunder in jail. That's bad. Only last week, I murdered a rock, injured a stone, Hospitalize a brick. I'm so mean, I make medicine sick. Bad dude. Bad. Fast. 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 Last night, I cut the light off my bedroom, hit the switch, was in the bed before the room was dark. Incredible. Fast. Ali comes out to meet Frazier, but Frazier starts to retreat. If Joe goes back an inch farther, he'll wind up in a ringside seat. Ali swings with his left. Ali swings with his right. Just look at the kid carry the fight. Frazier keeps backing, but there's not enough room. It's only a matter of time before Ali lowers the boom. Ali swings with his right. What a beautiful swing. But the punch lifts Frazier clean out of the ring. Frazier's still rising, and the referee wears a frown, because he can't start counting till Frazier comes down. Frazier's disappeared from view. The crowd is getting frantic, but our radar station's done picked him up. He's somewhere over the Atlantic. Now, who would have thought when they came to the fight, they was going to witness the launching of a black satellite? But don't wait for that fight. It ain't never going to happen. Only thing you could do is wonder and imagine. Out here, we're on land where she ain't gonna stand. I can hear Leah laugh. I go further. She's got you huddled all round me, where she thinks she can pound me. But she is mistaken. This fight I'll be taking. She's dragged you all out here in the desert to wander and search for an artifact her king wants to plunder. While he sits back at home on his throne made of bone, You all sweat for his cause, burning sand in your paws. I circle around, looking at their faces, but with a sweep of my gaze, making them want to catch my eye. But I'll get your applause when I murder her jaws. I scoot my legs back and forth. I'm a warrior fighter like you've never seen. You'll be cheering with joy as I decrown your queen. You're so far from home and your cubs and your mate, but this is the tale you will yearn to relate. You sailed over the ocean in search of a mystery, inadvertently witnessed the best fight in history. Shrikes strikes with her right, I'm not there anymore, and all of a sudden she's down on the floor. 
She gets on back up and starts swinging and kicking. But she's picked the pussy who's gave her a licking. We have two heavy questions left. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Alex, considering how you feel about character death, something you've spoken on many times, why the choice to end the story with a guaranteed future death for Colo? Why that story choice, especially when you've talked so much about needing to put your characters in danger? Doesn't this projected future affect storytelling in a complicated and potentially cutting off future avenues for you? I thought about this question hard. Do you remember the original Guillermo del Toro Hellboy? Mm, Yes. Yes. And uh, the beginning, John Hurt uh, playing Broom, the father, mm-hmm. in the uh, extended edition, is at the doctor's being told he has cancer. In truth, this detail I was not aware of. I didn't even know there was an extended edition to Hellboy. After he's told that and been informed how long he has to live, he does a little tarot reading for himself just to get a second opinion. And that confirms it, which is a really satisfying little moment. Does Broom die of cancer in Hellboy? No. No. Just because someone is definitely going to die doesn't mean they're not going to die sooner. Mm. Mm. Something like that is actually at the heart of the tension of Breaking Bad. From the first episode, they have a similar diagnosis. And by show's end you could make arguments of whether that was what happened or something else that happened. Indeed. Um, The way I put it is uh, it it only guarantees that no matter if Colo escapes immediate death, he has an inescapable fate down the road. And I wanted to hone in on my own feeling of not having enough time. That's Mm. what this is expressing. We just look at each other. They look at me, and that's it. That's the dream. I have one where I'm drowning, and I got to wake myself up and stop breathing or I'll die in my sleep. You know what that's about? Yeah, having enough time. Enough time to do what you want to do? That's right. I've done that before with Thomas Arlington, but that was based on Thomas's paranoia. That was based on his mistrust of humankind and his feeling of even, you know, if nobody kills him, he's in this extremely tenuous position that people don't want him to be in. And he only has X amount of days left before he is thrown out and they realize their mistake. So this had to be deeper magic. It had to be something that Kolo was presented with in the manner of Aslan in uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. But Kolo is not Aslan, Mm. and he will be handling this in a different way. I was partly curious because that turn of events made me think a great deal about the ending of John Sheridan's story arc from Babylon 5. I thought you were going to say the last season of The West Wing. No, no. I, mean, oh, I, was, I had a penny pe- poised over the jar. <laughs> no, no, no. Just keep your penny. <laughs> no, because 
You'll have to tell me, uh, having never seen Babylon 5. Oh, really? Okay. No, I'm a Straczynski fan, but I didn't watch Star Trek type shows when I was that age. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, then I'm not sure I want to. (laughs) Well, okay. I technically already told you, but John Sheridan essentially makes uh, a major sacrifice at the end of season three. And everyone presumes that he's dead going into what they thought was going to be the final season at that point. They ended up going on to a fifth. But when he does come back, he only does so because one of the first ones, one of the most ancient race of aliens, gives him a second chance to clean up the unfinished parts of his life and help him save not just humanity, but like all other sentient races. But he says, He was dying. He was dead. I did all I could to help him, but I cannot create life. Only the universe can do that. I can extend, enhance. There is no magic, nothing spiritual about it, only the application of energies, healing and rebuilding cells. I did the best I could. I gave him back a portion of his life, but only a portion. You I gotta not... watch B five. Oh yes, you absolutely. If you have not watched B five, you absolutely, sir. That that is worth your time and energy to watch that. Okay. Uh, also, one show I did watch, which uh, was kind of a follow up from B five, the Battlestar Galactica remodel mm. from two thousands. Mary McDonald's character, the president Laura Roslin, is told in the first episode of the miniseries that she has cancer and that she's going to die. And so everything that happens in that show, she has that at the back of her mind. These are the last days I can make a huge amount of difference. And she's minister for agriculture or something, but because everyone else is dead, she gets um, shunted up to uh, president. So there's a tension to her character the whole way through. And that was technically what I was uh, uh, doing with Arlington. I I wanted uh, people to... Uh, feel like when you know somebody's going to die, you pay attention to mm-hmm. them. Yeah. There's a strange feeling of uncertain mortality mm. that I'm now realizing is associated with a number of these TV shows that is almost a perfect metaphor for the television industry, but also just at, you know, in life in general, where it's like you don't know how much time you have to tell or live your story all you can do is make the most of the time that is given to you all color knows is all the time he hasn't got Uh, yeah this may be the final question but it is a question that we will soldier through was this trajectory for colo something that was affected by the death of chadwick boseman it would be reductive to say that Colo is wholly based on elements of any one individual from either fiction or reality. But given the thread that appears to exist between the two, was there a sense of giving him back to the place he came from along the lines of giving Annie back to history? If Chadwick Boseman had lived, then perhaps Colo would not have been given this uh, effective death sentence. But Chadwick Boseman wasn't hit by a bus or and he didn't uh, get in a car accident and just suddenly die. Chadwick Boseman 
knew he had cancer and he knew he was dying. I never put that together. And here's the thing. He... <sighs> it was a four-year-long battle with colon cancer. And four-year battle means he knew four years ago. He died in 2020. Four years means in 2016, when Civil War came out, that was when he began. So that means he was having that fight during Black Panther. That means during the portals scene in Endgame, when he comes through with Okoya and Shuri, he was probably thinking, this might be the last time I'm ever on screen as T'Challa. And he would have been right, save for that what-if moment. But he played T'Challa for as long as he could anyway, because he knew that this was so significant to so many people, and he wanted to honour that. I don't know whether when he told Marvel, when they knew. I would guess not really until he knew he was losing. But if you look at how he goes from being very physically fit and athletic in uh, that first appearance in Civil War to how considerably more shrunken he is in 21 Bridges, the uh, one of the last film appearances he was in, and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom as well. Fantastic film that second one is. And a heartbreaking performance. So this is the concept of a person who knows they're going to die, but does the thing anyway, because the thing is bigger than they are. And <clears throat> obviously when I designed Colo, Chadwick was very much alive. And when I finally got to write Colo, Chadwick had gone. So there was already a sense of who is this panther now? Because am I going to leave him alive and happy and changed? A changed panther at the end, trying to just trying to do his best and live his best life. Or would there be something even more serious on his plate? And it felt like to honor the sense of astonishing strength that Chadwick managed to like, because he could have bowed out in 2016 and said, you know what, I am going to focus on trying to get well. And he might still be alive today if that had been the case. And someone else may have played uh, T'Challa, maybe Michael B. Jordan. But I don't know the exact circumstances. It just felt wrong to leave Colo fine. Mm. It felt like there was trouble coming that isn't just an easy write-off. The, the Albion army are coming, but they beat them. It's fine. It's, you know, all the good guys win in the end. It's fine. It really comes down to planting trees that whose shade you will not enjoy factor. And there's several characters in New Century that do that. The fact that he's got so much to do in such a short space of time, again, it plays on my own anxiety and nervousness that I will not complete this. And I want to. Yeah. I really do. When you were talking about what Chadwick knew and what he chose to do, when we found out about him in 2020, the thing that immediately came to mind when we realized how long he had been struggling with this, all I could think of was that moment in the third act of Black Panther. I never yielded! And as you can see, I am not dead! But you ring up the portal scene. And it makes me think to myself, 
He says in Zahosa, Yibambe, hold fast. And it could have been said that he was saying that as much to himself as everyone else. Sorry, I had to... Had to get that out in order to <clears throat> move on. Uh, let me just cut this out. It's not. Don't it's you not fucking dare. Yeah, no, that's that's real. I would suggest you leave it in or keep it for, for at some point. Mm. All right. We. Everyone with the soul was feeling that exact same thing, so it's uh, freeing to hear it expressed. Yeah. The. Yeah song choice you had in the audio drama I think it was the chapter with that reveal and when you see them continue with the great work that they have ahead of them and from your stint on the radio uh, show that you guested on I did notice the uh, overlap of song choice there as well but that that particular cover of that specific song of just stand by me is that idea that as long as you have that feeling of being able to stand with people that matter with an idea that matters with a thought and a feeling that props you up then for as long as you are standing then you are okay Alex Panthersoul might be the best story you've ever written. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to follow it up. I can, um, I can, but try. My question in response to that is: How did you feel about following up Tiger's Eye, a story that we could very well have said the exact same thing? How would you follow that up? And the answer was: You focused on making Panthersoul, so don't focus on making Panthersoul dot 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 again just focus it on being whatever comes next well in response to that there's only one thing I can add I couldn't hear you Josh what do you say He said, what's next? It being Planet of the Cats suggests that there is a broad, broad scope, far bigger than we've had before. So the challenge will be to keep things personal as well, because without that, it's kind of hard to latch on. Mm. It's like the the amount of... um, big sci-fi movies i'm not even going to say superhero movies just big sci-fi movies where the entire earth is in danger and might be destroyed you disengage because you're like well the earth's not going to be destroyed in my version of things maybe one of the earths could be destroyed maybe all of them could be but 
it's too incomprehensible uh, in scale. So if we're worried about one child instead and desperately worried about the connections that are being put to the test, then I feel like that engages us with far more of a human element than no amount of one of the reasons we haven't responded to our own environmental crisis is because it's too big, mm. because it's impersonal. We've kind of kicked the can down the road and gone, look, that's for the experts to deal with. I am just a person for the love of God. I really don't get how that one line from the first Guardians of the Galaxy film isn't just the defining argument of all of it. It's like, well, why should we care? Because we're one of the assholes who live on this planet. Yeah. I mean, we uh, could definitely go into a conversation about how do you make calamitous disaster compelling and how do you make it personal? You kind of already did that with Back in Time plus Space, but we can't talk about that yet. Yes, that's for the future and also the past. <laughs> All right. Is there anything on the docket that we have not covered? Yes. Um during the other interviews, we asked all the other members of the cast what they might be interested in seeing with the final book of the Cats trilogy in terms of character development or plot. We can't ask this of you in the same way, especially since the idea of a third book only recently emerged. But is there anything you can tell us about what you would want to explore with the final book in Rama's story? <sighs> Okay, I have said this before, and I will I will just leave it at this. Mm. The biggest inspiration for where am I supposed to go from here came to me in a lightning bolt when I sat down and watched RRR. Ooh. And I thought, okay. now this is something. <laughs> so you're saying there's going to be a dance number in Pirates of the Cat. <laughs> Dance as juicy as a piece of mango, yes. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, there was a couple of dance sequences in this. That yeah. is true. But imagine star dancer committing themselves to a happy dance and making everyone feel that. Wow. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. I don't know that I've ever been as excited for a book before. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a long while. Uh, I've got a, a lot of other previous books that I've had rattling around in my head you, to write first. You take as long as you need. Ah, and ah, ah. But yep. I can't take as long mm. as I need. <laughs> I can only take as long as I've got. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, you're sorry, just reminding us that you're uh, struggling with your own. Um, hmm. <laughs> I don't even hey. know. Yeah, no, it's I don't. It's been diagnosed. Know. <laughs> it's just. Huh. There's a sword of right. Damocles poking me in the head. Mm. <laughs> and I've got a feeling someone's going to be cutting the thread. <laughs> okay, oh, woe like... is me. My life is a mystery. <laughs> Okay, Sorry. we're starting to get this a little is, here. Yes, this is a strange place we find ourselves in. Oh, rocker! Sorry. I couldn't not. On the <laughs> other hand, let's not go to Rama. It is a silly place. <laughs> <laughs> it's only a model. 
what are we saying that about the Smilotron? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just it's all forced perspective. It's only about seventeen inches high. Oh, I would kill for a like Harryhausen esque animated Smilotron. Oh. All, all of a sudden, now imagining like it being one of those uh, self transforming transformers, like Grimlock we recently saw in the Discord. Mm. All right, Greg, do we have any other questions left? Yes. Oh, on, hang on. Honestly, uh, we've all said this before, but if, if Rama was going to be a film, mm. Spider-Verse animation. Yeah, yeah. Re- like, CG and 3D animation isn't going to cut it here. We need how Rama feels, mm. not what Rama looks like. There's got to be that impressionistic angle to it dynamic impressionism my love for the way that uh mutant mayhem depicted light sources of that sort of scribbliness and that's not the same approach i need for like a rama film it's just that inventiveness of saying like look i don't want to just replicate this i need to show you what this feels like to me that's the good shit yeah it's funny that at the end, Alex brings up Across the Spider-Verse, and Toby brings up the recent Turtles movie, in terms of how they would want a visual media version of Panther Soul to look and feel. As many other people have said recently, the last few years have been a banner time for amazing animated movies, not just in terms of story, but also new art and animation styles, specifically inspired by the breakout revelation of Into the Spider-Verse from 2018. But if you want to watch an animated movie that has the emotional feel and weight of Panther Soul, you can do that right now. Alex and Toby had mentioned in passing in earlier recordings that the tale <laughs> end of 2022, DreamWorks put out the sixth installment of the Shrek franchise, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. And they went on to say how much resemblance it had in theme and character and weight to Panther Soul. Maybe you've already seen the movie yourself, based on the recommendations of others. Maybe you haven't gotten around to it. I myself have been waiting to watch it with Maureen after Toby's words months ago, but couldn't get her jazzed about it yet, so I went ahead and watched it a few weeks ago. I haven't watched a Shrek film since the second, and couldn't imagine how a Shrek spin-off could compete with Panther Soul, let alone any of the other amazing animated movies of the last two years. I was wrong. The hype is real. I'm not going to spoil it, because even comparing it to Panther Soul is already giving away a little bit too much. The Last Wish begins as merely entertaining and a tongue-in-cheek animated movie. Something clever but straightforward that I would expect from DreamWorks. It passes the time, having good moment-to-moment visual action and comedy, but I wouldn't expect it to bring me to potent emotional highs and lows, or have good character arcs. Not a movie that I would feel like I would remember much of after I had watched it. And then the first act ended, and the second revealed what it was actually carrying around under its dramatic swashbuckler's cloak. Charismatic and adventurous hero with hidden pathos and depths and fears? Check. 
self-serious but witty female lead with an emotional connection to our hero? Check. Side character that is the heart of the group bringing everyone together? Check. Themes of found family and searching for something without realizing you've already had it all along? Fucking double check. This movie has all the emotional turmoil, amazing action scenes, breathtaking world design, and story richness and depth to make it not merely contend with, but also mirror Panther Soul in places. The story's villains don't quite have the same weight and danger to them as Shrike and Mog, but it's not for lack of trying. Also, The Last Wish is marketed as kid-friendly, so it would never go that dark anyway. The only way it doesn't match Panther Soul is an LGBTQ narrative, but that's hardly a surprise. Independent projects are always going to do better on that front, rather than something made by a major studio. I mentioned earlier that you appreciate elements of Panther Soul more if you've seen the movie Ali. Well, The Last Wish is already a far better movie than expected on its own, and if you loved Panther Soul, then you are going to appreciate this Puss in Boots movie even more. Maybe Toby and I will dive into it at some point. Could be one of the movies covered in a future beyond the wind door, especially if we can bring on a third person that hasn't seen it yet. Oh, the food. <laughs> we never talked about how I went all out with this by uh, illustrating the, the, the street food that Colo describes. Mm. It was making Sharon's mouth water. And I just uh, thought, yeah. like, we can smell street food, but imagine a, a society of cats with so much better senses of smell, like what that would be to them and how oh, just intoxicating it would be walking through that. So what did they get anything done? <laughs> yeah, just sit there eating all day. <laughs> All I can think of is just Puss like, in Boots in Shrek 4 Yeah, a little bit That, but also just Oh, what's the robot in Futurama Hedonism bot Oh, hedonism uh, bot Let us cavort like the Greeks of old You know the ones I mean <laughs> That's you and me And Jombi Could have a little party later I That's... so wish I'd been able to get Jim Stephanie Sterling back in the day. I might still be able to. I would <laughs> love. That's my achievable most wanted mm -hmm, at, the, yeah. at this point. So if any of you folks know anyone out there who can get Jim Steph to do a little bit of voice work, get them in touch with me. Now, finally, even though you have all played various characters in Rama, that might be different from your individual preferences. If you yourselves were cats in Rama, and I know this is going to be difficult because you've talked so much, Alex, in particular, of how much you wish you could live in Rama, what kind of cat would you be and what part of the world would you want to live in? Tell your Rama Sona. Because I asked this question of the Shahs at different times, I'm now going to have to splice together their answers, starting with Willow. It's the most wonderful q and I've ever gotten. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I'm trying to figure out one where it's not just catering to my, oh, I love this cat. I want to be this one. Mm, this specific cat, yeah. Mm. 
I feel like some kind of cheetah or leopard. Small, ineffective, but big heart. Because um, lynxes still have the... They're very intellectual as well as heart-driven. They have their big culture and awesome achievements. And I think something a bit more homely and I hesitate to say introverted, like someone that's friendly, but not all the way out there. And I think something reclusive like a cheetah might be the one for me. I think. Huh. That's actually intriguing because I, I'm vaguely re- remembering like how the one cheetah was treated in um, Tiger's Eye, but also what I know about cheetahs as a species, they tend to be very closely tied with the other members of their pride. Mm. I, I don't know if that there's probably a specific word for cheetahs because pride is lions. But the idea of a, a cheetah that desires connection with others, but has a difficult time manifesting it, like introverts often do. That's a very intriguing juxtaposition there. We found the collective of cheetahs. Coalition. (laughs) Gonna start a coalition of cheetahs. (laughs) You don't have to keep the Kiwi accent when you're in a different (laughs) country. Apparently, uh, cheetahs are the only wild cats other than lions that do live in groups. Uh, Coalitions are usually made up of a group of brothers. Female cheetahs that have cubs are solitary. Mm. The more you know. Yeah. I am not at all good in hot environments and most of the places we explore in Rama are desert or jungle or baking hot stone city and since I was a massive snow leopard fan as a tween I think that would probably be me uh, living in the frost on the edge of Dallas's mountain village. Well, I mean, like, I'm I'm the writer, so I can just, like, say I'll, I'll be colo, but I don't have to die or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly, I put so much of uh, myself in all of these characters. Like, there's elements of me in, that, that are very much like James in colo. There's elements mm-hmm. of me uh, from Abigail that are in colo and, and Robin and Gwen and Thomas. And there's so much... There's so mm. much there. They're all kind of facets of me, but I think Colo might probably come the closest to being the most facets of me, purely because there is so much to him that doesn't necessarily sit comfortably. Like, he actually has to change persona here and there, and it's not too subtle when he does. I feel like I do that in terms of I have my indoor voice, my outdoor voice, my going to the shops voice, my uh, gracious on the street voice, my I just met you at a party and I'm being frightfully witty voice, uh, my you just asked me what I do for a living and I'm trying to not bore you, but at the same time also not get caught on, on in a flight of fancy voice, my writing something rapier sharp, but I'm not saying it out loud, but it's coming through on uh, the Discord or something. Just, just something perfectly timed or my podcast voice, or, or there's a variety of different podcast voices there. I think no other New Century character has that same level of versatility that Colo does. I saved 
myself for this one, I think. Do I contradict myself? Very well, then I contradict myself. I'm large. I contain multitudes. Well, then I have a follow-up, and maybe it's too personal, but it didn't just click for me until you were speaking just now. A lot of the other characters that you have voiced in the past, you specifically, have had, shall we say, complicated relationships with their fathers. Colo mm-hmm. at the end, manages to come to an accord with Shala. Was there intent in you by making Colo the one that could manage to do that? Mm. I've uh, considered this and wondered how much of my own father I put into Shala relative to how much of my own father I put into Miguel's father, mm. Francisco. And, you know, Junta. How much of my father is in Junta? None. Um, honestly, I think it is quite possible to have a father figure that you write that isn't your father, though he might be a version of your father that you would love to have. Mm. I think in some twisted way, I have occasionally entertained a dark notion uh, that my father passes away, because he's old now, and that despite the fact that uh, we haven't spoken since uh, 2009, uh, I get contacted and told to come to his funeral, and in doing so, I find out that he in fact, has been reading every single New Century book and listening to every single New Century audio drama, maybe even listening to every school of movies as a a means of actually giving a shit about what his son has done with his life. But I don't think any of that could be possible, knowing the man. I don't think he will have invested in anything that I've done. It's not in him. I made my peace a long time ago with having to effectively divorce myself from the notion of having a father figure. In that Guardians of the Galaxy 2 preamble, I uh, noted the whole looking for the mentor mm-hmm. side of my life. And so when it came to looking for the father, I had to just look within and whew, had to try to be the best version of a father that I could be for Willow. Mm-hmm. I can look back on the times I've fucked up and Willow can tell me over and over again that they could not want a better father. But I think it it simply comes down to wanting them to be better than me and encouraging them to be better than me rather than forcing them to and being proud of them and telling them so when they beat me at something because that's absolutely the way it should be. We are what they grow beyond. The Last Jedi, folks. The the thing that I was connecting to in a way that I didn't expect was one of the big emotional turns of God of War 2018. Ah. On the day you were born, I made two knives, mixing metals from my home and from this land. One for myself, and when you were ready, one for you. Today is that day. Some are men now. Like you? No. 
We are not men. We are more than that. The responsibility is far greater. And you must be better than me. Understand? I will say this as a final capper on all of that and just response and it's a sentiment that I don't really think I can claim encapsulates everything except my own response to and feelings of just what you have put out there into the world. What you have developed and built, Alex, I think has helped to sustain people and inspire them to try. You know the story of your connection to a part of my life that is connected to my father and the day I lost him. All I can say is that because of what you do, you help people. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to get things right all the time because none of us do. The phrase that I've been saying and developed uh, recently in conversations with Sarah is that it is the spirit, not the details, that make us. It is the idea that as long as we want to and strive to, then that is who we make ourselves into. And all of this is who you are. And we're very grateful for that. Yeah. Thank you, guys. All right. Well, I think this the is the crying place- part of the interview, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Look. This was always going to be very emotional on on multiple levels because that's the kind of story that Panther Soul is. I love New Century as a whole for what, as you say, it has given me, it has given us on multiple levels, not just being able to experience it, but able to talk about it with each other, with Alex, with everybody else that's involved in making it. My first reaction to Panther Soul after reading it for the first time was brutally honest in terms of how raw I felt after it. And while I will have plenty of wonderful things to say about the other two stories that Alex has yet to put into audio form, and while I'm sure I'll have many positive things to say about phase three of New Century, Panther Soul was something special. And I'm glad to be a part of its story. Literally, you're uh, Gregson Tobias, the wise (laughs) chieftains of uh, Leah's village. All depictions Uh, are extremely fictionalized. Uh, Greg is wise. (laughs) I am, yes. (laughs) I very deliberately kept your performances uh, shy of each other so that you you would have something to listen to when you heard that episode. You'd be like, oh, that's what they sounded like. (laughs) (laughs) I did love hearing Greg's voice. It always makes me chuckle. And to be honest, the other day I was making myself a cocktail with whiskey and I could only chuckle to myself just because of back in Uncivil Outlaw. Sarah always remembers me just being in a corner of the room doing various iterations of whiskey. And so <laughs> I could only say, like when Aunt Sarah asked, her, oh, what do you have it? And I said, whiskey. Whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now that we've had a little bit of humor to help us through the emotion, Alex, 
thank you once again for taking us through the tea leaves and helping us to provide a closing experience to Panther Soul. Next time, we've still got plenty more to talk about of your previous works, but I would say that we're definitely going to be fascinated on what new journey Castle of the Moon is going to take us on. Oh, I've got so many things I am dying to reveal about that one, but I've <laughs> got to write the damn thing first. I've got Winnie the Pooh to do first. Mm. <sighs> okay. So, yeah. I, I, honestly, Winnie the Pooh's joining Team Steam? <laughs> <laughs> Technically, I could if I wanted, but I'm not going Oh, bother. Oh, bother. Oh, Wendigo. <laughs> that always seems bigger because of its bounces. No, um, there's some stuff that'll make you go, ah, as soon as you find out about it in Castle of the Moon, but I can't say it yet, so. Yeah. You can't keep getting away with it! You can't keep getting away with it! He won't. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fun. At the same time, I love you using like talking us through the tea leaves. That's Cockney rhyming slang for thieves. So the princess tea leaves. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. We have another princess thieves title for you. Oh <laughs> my god, that's good. <laughs> I honestly didn't know, but I got that turn of phrase from put a penny in the jar. The West Wing. The West Wing. <laughs> And Excellent. We've got to mention it at least twice in uh, every episode. <laughs> it sounds like that would be hard to manage. Actually, it's going to be super easy. Barely an inconvenience. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, it's like the cultural touchstone that uh, Greg and I pretty much stem most of our witticisms <laughs> from. Well, okay then. <laughs> wow, 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 wow. Wow. <laughs> Greg and I are very looking, much looking forward to doing our homage to that for Steamheart. Oh, right. For the, for, the, yeah. for the final episodes of Steamheart, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I haven't written it yet. Um, oh, God. I've had a joke. It's going to uh, have so many, oh, my God, moments. Yeah. I've had a joke written for that for like a year or so now, and I, like you, Alex, I'm tempted to share it, but we'll... Wait until you get to enjoy it in its mm. final form. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we so rarely get delighted and surprised by things these days. It's it's important to hold some of them back. Yes. <laughs> well, you'll be very delighted and surprised when I finally put together the season opener for Princess Thieves because uh, I, <laughs> I have, I've got a small team working on our opening. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, so, seriously. It is, as ever, a good time to be a New Century fan. Mm. Um. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, i got to get on that, by the way. I have a 10-year anniversary approaching, and I had intended to get Four Worlds Collide out by Christmas. It's August already. <laughs> I got three books to write. i got to go. <laughs> <laughs> all, right. all right we'll let you all get right. to it and I, you know honestly for you two i swear i will write a chapter of the winnie the pooh one tomorrow to get me one step closer to the 10 chapters that i need all so right. that'll be three out of ten alex i, can I get can, the thing finished in a week i can tell you this when the next new century book comes out i am going to just sit in that Blackwell's bookshop that I showed Sharon and just read the whole thing there. Oh. And when people go, what are you reading? You're funny, you should ask that. Yeah. Why? Just look at the newly installed inspirational westerns wing of the nice. bookshop. Yes. 
Oh, the right, newly that... installed inspirational West Wing. That's what we call it now. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone must put a penny in the jar. All proceeds go to charity. <laughs> so naturally you might ask, is that it? We're done for this run, right? Well, no. There's one last person we need to interview to make the set complete. The tiger that started it all, my wife, Maureen. This recording was originally supposed to happen with Loretta and Spencer because at the time, as I was dividing up all of the people, I was like, well, I don't want to do an interview with just two people. So I was like, okay, I'll bring Maureen in and then she'll get to socialize with old friends, something she hasn't gotten to do in a very long time. Mm -hmm. And then unfortunately, this was going on right in the middle of Maureen having some serious we know about her chronic health issues, but specifically it was getting in the way of her being able to speak on microphone. Oh, was that uh, during the, the month that I couldn't talk at all? Yeah. <laughs> that sucked. Yeah. No, I got, Maureen, that that was funny. right after we got married. <laughs> yes. So it's been two years since we interviewed you, Maureen, and I hear there's been some major life changes. <laughs> what have you been up to, Maureen? So, I got married. Oh, cool. Is <laughs> there anyone we might know? I don't know. He's kind of famous, like a little bit. He's known in some circles. Mm. <laughs> Would those circles be in the shape of windows? <laughs> <laughs> but we didn't have a whole lot of questions for you specifically, which is part of the reason why, again, I wanted to have you on with the others. So that there could be some byplay and some joking and some conversation, crass <laughs> conversation with the stuff that I was asking of Loretta and Spencer. Byplay, you say? <laughs> I mean, if you weren't going to say it, I certainly <laughs> You set the joke up. Yeah. I'm like, not going to go there. Yeah, I did. But on a more serious note. Yes. Maureen, I have to imagine that Crow's reduced presence in this second installment must have felt strange to you, hmm. considering how much the character and this setting mean specifically to you. Mm -hmm. Right at the end, we get this monumental development in Rao's story with the return of her child. I don't know how far back this actually goes now, because it seems like this, based on what other people have said, this is something that Alex might have shared with you a long time ago, but maybe even long enough ago that you don't necessarily remember the specifics. <laughs> How did you feel when Alex revealed that this second book was going to return Coral slash Stardancer to the story? And how long ago did you know this was coming? Were you like suddenly reminded with the release of the book? I also don't know when you actually recorded all of these lines. Yeah, I was just wondering that myself. Let me look mm. it up. March 2021? Mm. Oof, that was a while ago. Yeah. I always kind of knew that Stardancer, we'll go with that for now. I always knew that Stardancer wasn't dead, even from Tiger's Eye. Mm -hmm. Partly just because of the circumstances of them going missing. Mm -hmm. But as the story progressed, I was aware that they would come back. Just not like when or how or however. I hadn't actually read the book until this weekend. Um, obviously, I recorded my bits. But I hadn't actually read the book. Um, mm -hmm. I got through it in like a day and a half. But I Oh, so now you're competing with me for how fast you can read a book. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Don't test me. 
Um, I used to be a speed reader. I've gotten a little bit out of it. But anyway. Go speed reader, go, go speed reader, <laughs> go. I haven't really been, you know, keeping up with a lot of the series for a lot of reasons, mostly because I just don't read much mm. at all. But I knew, like I said, I knew that that start answer was going to come back. So the the circumstances of them meeting again in the way that they met again was not what I expected, but also perfect. I think that ha- it had to happen that way. I don't think they could have met in the wild, so to speak. I think it had to be in a group setting, like a formal meet and greet, if that's mm. the right way to put it, rather than in combat or, you know, like if there was a fight sequence mm. and they suddenly came upon one another. So it had to be some sort of ceremony to the moment. Yeah, uh, sort, sort of, of like peaceful. Yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> And it has just occurred to me from you speaking, and I hadn't really put two and two together. It's a return home, but it's a return home for both of them. I forget if by the time we check in with Rao at the end of the story, if that is when Rao and Miguel are just getting there back to Durga tribe, or if it's actually that they've been there for some time. I think Miguel might have had some sort of test or something like that symbolically from the reader the audience's perspective because we haven't been privy to that it is us experiencing the return even if it is after the fact of Prow's details of it so to see Stardancer come home it is this feeling as if the day that uh, Stardancer disappeared and was kidnapped they both went away and now they have kind of come back to that meeting point, that fork in the road, but almost at the same time. That's sort of the feeling, the emotional sensation I get from how you're describing it. There was a sanctity to the moment that it had to have. Once more, I had to return to the text, because the exact details escaped me, and I wanted to make sure I remembered them correctly. As often occurs in Rama stories, we never know exactly how much time has passed, It is today, or it is yesterday, but each moment has a strong flavor of now-ness. It almost doesn't matter how much time has passed, because the emotion of the moment keeps us there with the characters in all the ways that matters. It's also how a good montage shows us story progress without an exact time frame and without words. But there is something distinctly Rama as to how storytelling feels here especially when spoken by Hrau. The thing that matters is being fully present with these characters we care about, wherever in time they are. And they both came to it in the same state, because they both have been to distant lands. Hrau more than start answer, not that it's a competition, but I win. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, but y'all, I met humans. I've met humans. I'm not sure we're worth bragging about. (laughs) But if we're going like furthest distance travel, (laughs) another universe kind of wins. You know, they both have met and formed tribes separate from their original tribe. They both have had, I don't want to use the word intimate, but that's kind of the way to describe it Mm. encounters with powerful beings. That have injected a part of themselves hmm. into hmm. them. So 
Growl still has a bit of Seth, and mm. Stardancer still has a bit of Mog, sort of in her brain. Yeah. And Seth infected or whatever because of the whole thing, the, the thing, and the death, and then the. Huh. Anyway. Dang, you're coming up with these observations that are just exploding the book even more for me because I just had never drawn these parallels between the two until now. And you're absolutely right. It's so easy to, when you get to the end of the book, be swept up in the, oh my God, I start on so much. <laughs> it's like, I am your child. It's not true. It's impossible. And, but like, we're so happy about it. Did somebody lose a hand? Did I miss that part? <laughs> <laughs> no. Harry lost legs, um, but no. Yeah. Um, oh, I did say Harry would go freaking bananas for the Smilotron. One hundred percent, one thousand percent. She would be like, "Oh my god, let me at it." Yep. <laughs> I, I want mean, to I was be going... inside that big kitty. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that it it would be like we have a Smilotron, we have a steam heart, and it would just... <laughs> and you know what would then happen? They'd race. Tokyo Drift Race. <laughs> Deja vu. I've just been in this place before. Higher on the street, and I know it's my time to go. Going in the and the search is a mystery. Standing on my feet, it's so hard when I try to be me. Whoa. Look, Hrow is already the biggest of the group, just by dint of being a tiger and being who she is. You put her in the Smilotron, all of a sudden just be like, I am even more huge! Oh, man, and when it does, it will glow with purple energy. Oh, Too no, much that's, purple energy that's is not dangerous. Really my ah, he said I, the don't, thing. I don't, I wouldn't want to do that. I, mm. No, thank you. Fair, fair enough, fair enough. It's an intriguing parallel that you're drawing, especially since, you know, if we dive back into crow's story a little bit i wouldn't actually have thought that crow is as much infected with or has a part of seth inside her specifically because the magic that kept seth alive the healing ability mm. was something i believe i don't think it was ever made clear but like i get the feeling like that was something that yagana gave to seth in order to accomplish his goals yeah, exactly. It that it its origin probably came from somewhere else. It was magic. It came so, from an orb or someplace else. But and I thought that, that it, he had to give up something. He had to give up something in order to share the power three ways. Because Steve, oh. the, the events of Steamheart implied that he had the power originally from somewhere, hmm. and he chose to share it with Brioth. Right. And then he's like, I want Crow to live. Can I do that by giving some of my healing ability to Crow as well? And since Yagana is the only one that can pull that off, she's like, yes, but you have to give me something for it. I don't do anything for free. So we don't actually know if mm. Seth always had the healing ability but... and Yagana just knew how to manipulate the magic to give it to others, or if the healing ability was something that it's, Yagana would just had in her hut. And whatever the circumstances. Sorry. Okay, I'm, uh, I'm going to stop you, Toby. Go ahead. But Crow was bitten mm. by a bunch of the Wendigos. Yes, that's so right. So whatever the thingy that Seth passed to them, yeah. she got. 
So she's still yeah. infected by whatever the juju juice is. Mm-hmm. I mean, and Seth would definitely claim that the Wendigo are part of his bloodline. Yeah. Whatever the truth is about why mm-hmm. it is that Seth has the Wendigo infection in his blood. Because on one level, there's everything going on with Seth and his ability to communicate with the Wendigo. But also the events of Steamheart reveal that the original Wendigo infection was because of the plants infecting right. a human, which was an invasive species from the perspective of Saitash. But, okay. And then... <laughs> I'm just yes, getting Anne. the cork board behind me. Okay? <laughs> red string, red string. <laughs> the other thing is, just from my... Now I have to cast my mind back a bit. But just remembering <laughs> the bit from Hrow getting infected mm-hmm. and falling off the cliff and the that whole bit. Mm-hmm. She did come back changed. After mm-hmm. being around Seth for a while and healing, she was more feral a little bit. Like she felt changed by being around Seth because she did have a bit where she was tempted to stay with mm-hmm. him. So even though, yes, it wasn't the same level as Mog's brand of shit fuckery with the mind fuck and all that, there was still a bit of something going on where she was altered. She was mm-hmm. changed by the infection that was put into her system by the the magic that was done magic that was done by by Seth's interference with whatever he did or didn't do whatever part of him he put in or didn't put in so she came out of it different Hmm. i'm actually loving that we're talking about this now because we still have to get back to the steamheart retrospective and toby and i have not covered that chapter yet where seth Hmm. takes proud to Yagana and that whole scene where she's tempted to potentially stay with him. So this Mm. is literally information from the tiger's mouth that we'll get to incorporate when we finally record on those last few chapters. Um, It's true. You make an absolutely on-the-point point, point, (laughs) Maureen, that what Stardancer and Shrau carry with them from their experiences with entities that kind of go beyond their frame of reference or understanding is that they may not necessarily wholly understand it, but they feel the lingering effects of it. And I think, yes, mm. I think that the difference between what we see with Frau and what we see with Stardancer is that while the effects still have embers within both of them, for Stardancer, the subject, the source of it, is dead now. We spent a good multiple pages looking at the charred remains of that <laughs> motherfucker. And we cadaverific. And we know that that is done, even if the part of that psyche, that legacy still exists within Stardancer as they navigate and just figure the path forward out. And for Frau, it's all a bit tangled for multiple reasons first of all look at us now talking about how first Frau was bitten by wendigo which come from this bunch of scary ass plants from this world then we got seth and who the hell knows what seth is about when he's passed something that may have also belonged to brioth but was his possibly that he was born with or he was gifted to by yagana so like we barely know what the hell is going on with all of that 
and developments that happen in later books mean that we don't know what the scope, how far this chain is. Like, Prowl has become part of a chain of something, and we don't know if the chain is only a couple of, you know, kinks along, or if it's just something goes back either much further beyond Yagana, or that Yagana is the chain. Yagana is this infinite length of connections upon connections that layers into something infinite and unknowable. Don't know, I've gone cross-eyed. I haven't read the book where we we get to know her, but she sounds like a real piece of work. Not a fan. Zero out of ten. No, uh, wouldn't recommend. Probably not in uh, if I was doing tier list of would hang out with oh, no. century. Uh, no, Yagana <laughs> would like. I would say, do you want some peanuts? And Yagana would end up having me agree to sell the feeling of taste of freshly baked bread or something for giving her peanuts. So like, <laughs> you know, that's the experience. That cool, there. cool, cool. Yeah. yeah, she doesn't sound fun. The one I, thing I will say, though, to sort of, not to brag about brag away. Prowl, this is... I was thinking that start answer, now obviously we catch them shortly after the bond is broken by mm-hmm. the whole dead thing. But the, the damage that is done to start answer seems far deeper. Mm. Yes. And I think there's a reason for that. So Crow, obviously, the first issue is the whole Mohawk thing. <laughs> I didn't like seeing that name come up again um, in Panther Soul. I was like, oh, you're still around, motherfucker. Yeah, um, he has a name now, and that means that I have to think about him as someone that has a name rather than just look, the thing that we refer to him by because he's a soulless bastard. Look, I've gone through Panther Soul at least two or three times now. Mohawk doesn't get a name. He can tell me his name in the room, and I'm actively forgetting it as yeah. I am told it. No, I know. And I, again, it was you just don't like get a, a, a name, a, motherfucker. It was a one off thing where I was like, oh, you again. Mm. <laughs> Whatever. So that obviously was like number one, but it was, she dealt with it violently. So, you know, that trauma was dealt with as, as you do. Um, stab, 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 stab. And then the Seth thing, obviously in the whole, you know, that whole thing, it went on for a little while, but not for years. Star Dancer's thing went on for years. Their recovery is going to be extensive. And a lot of what happened to Frau was physical. Mm. Psychological too, obviously, but it's physical and psychological together. Mm. And Star Dancer went through such gaslighting. That is so much harder to recover from mm, it, to a point I, to, in my opinion in my opinion in my opinion disclaimer mm. asterisk what Stardancer went through was a disintegration of the self that yes. was it happened over and over again it was sustained for many yeah. years and now after the cause of that has itself been disintegrated in a way that could not be covered from the question that is now posed to Stardancer and to everyone who cares about them is how to handle reintegration, I suppose, is the term for that. Yeah. You, Harau is in a unique place to help start answer deal with this. Yes. Because there were a lot of things that happened both in Steamheart and in Tiger's Eye that were things that happened to Harau that she had to either 
practically deal with or emotionally deal with. But the real trauma itself was recovering from losing her child Yes, way back when. And the whole denouement of Tiger's Tiger's Eye was Crow coming to terms with that guilt. She still viewed losing Coral as her fault. Yep. But she finally felt like she was able to heal from it by being a mother to Miguel and, and then going on to continue to do that. But also over the course of Steamheart being someone that helped Miguel come into themselves. Yep. And then as a result of everything that happened in Uncivil Outlaw, when the new tribe was fractured for various reasons, both from the ending of Steamheart, but also the upheaval in Uncivil Outlaw. She's like, well, this is the prime opportunity for me to go back and see if I can come to terms with my old life. Mm. So Stardancer comes back in the middle of that. And while sustained gaslighting absolutely has a deletory effect on the psyche and the self, the thing that Stardancer themselves says will be the hardest to deal with is their culpability in bringing victims to Mog to feed on. Once more, I'm reminded of that short story from World War Z about the Russian soldiers that were made to execute their own for infractions. Like, more than Kolo, who went through some of the same stuff, or Mm -hmm. more than Beatrix, who committed her own crimes that she is trying to atone for, Mm -hmm. Stardancer is carrying around guilt. And we've been watching a TV show that... Gets into a lot of huh. the nature of guilt and how that self-actualizes uh, in the form of Lucifer. So that's going to be very Good interesting job. to get into potentially in book three or in some other iteration of New Century. Put down your stick, Alex. This is our show. And I can't elaborate on something that hasn't happened yet. So that was going to be another big question, something that I wanted to get into. Uh, Toby, I know that you had one specifically relating more to Panther Soul than to future iterations. We've gone over a little bit in multiple on multiple levels that the third book, Planet of the Cats, was not something Alex had intended to write specifically. He had other ways to bring Rao and Rama into the story, but... I also know that Alex likes to share future details, specifically with character arcs and like just stuff that he has planned in the future for individual characters and individual, say, wanting you to play future characters down the line. But without revealing anything that he specifically has in mind that would spoil, I'm curious now that you've read Panther Soul where you would be most interested in taking Rao going forward, such as not just helping Stardancer with their guilt, but also establishing a new relationship with this adult that was her cub. Not to mention that, you know, very brief greeting at the end of Panther Soul between herself and Beatrix and conversations that might develop between her and Miguel and Beatrix. 
having all of that fresh in your mind now in particular, do you have any thoughts about conversations that Hrao would want to have or just stuff that you would want Hrao to explore in a third Cats book now that they are reintegrated? Now that the gang's back together? Now that the gang's back together, so <laughs> to speak. Now, now that multiple well, gangs well, are back well. together. Because you have Durga Tribe and her reconciliation with that, which we only saw a little of in the pages of Panther Soul, but also her connecting with all of the characters in Panther Soul itself. First of all, I don't know anything because <laughs> I haven't heard Jack from Mr. Shaw, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and that wasn't sarcastic. I don't need to know until I need to know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, um, with Frau, six seasons in a movie, please, K, thanks. Um, <laughs> what I said to, to Greg, as soon as I read the bit in Panther Soul where she comes back in the picture, it was immediately familiar. It was immediately like no time had passed. Just, oh, there I am. Okay, mm. cool. Her as a character is one that I'm so comfortable with. And I understand why my roles have been cut back because of my health problems. And I'm appreciative of that, but also frustrated because I love performing her. I love being her. And any chance that I get to put on the tiger suit and bring her to life is wonderful to me. I mean, obviously, I like performing any other character, but for me, Hrao is special. She always has been. She always will be. So that's why I have a freaking tattoo. (laughs) I mean, Hrao is literally never too far beneath the surface for you. Correct. You put that idea into <laughs> ink on skin, like that's yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's why whenever we, if there's a conflict, I'm like, Greg, summon the wife, throw me into battle. <laughs> <laughs> Form of tiger, tiger. Oh. No, <laughs> I chose you. I'm the Pokemon. Incineroar. Uh, yeah. Anyway, sorry. What were we talking about? Violence. No. What? Um... <laughs> I won't start it, but I'll finish it. Anyway, but yeah, I I like the idea of her coming back in any book. You know, if she is able to help with the battle that's going to come up with the fucked hard lions and their colonizing ways. Mm -hmm. Yes, please sign me up for that. Mm -hmm. I violence all day, every day. Also, you know, if, if she ends up going back and reuniting with any of the Steamheart crew, any of the humans, down for that too. I'm happy with anything look if planet of the cats devolves into just being rrr but with frau and colo <laughs> uh, just like tearing shit up then i'm down for that uh, that that is the touchstone that uh, alex revealed at the end of our last interview is that planet of the cats is apparently going to be heavily influenced by that indian movie Maureen and I have not watched it yet because it's a three fucking hour movie. Ooh, uh, but, but at this point, we're, we're aware of it. We are. It's on our list. Yes, we we know Watch it some of two the halves. Hype. It has it has a perfect midpoint break, like okay. an, an intermission point. Mm. And I think you'll know it when you see it. Like you genuinely can pause it one evening and resume it the next and have a great time with it. Okay. Do you ever watch Cinema <laughs> Therapy on YouTube? Yes, I do. Okay, because I did something on RRR. Yeah, that's primarily how we know some of the flavors of RRR. Was watching. It didn't spoil anything, but no. it was just like, 
But there were some great dramatic up. moments and the dancing and yeah, exactly. And, and, and the bromance between the two of them and, mm-hmm. and they're fighting together and them having to fight each other and that whole thing. Yes. <laughs> and, and then they just, they're just very hyped. It was a hype train mm-hmm. of Jonathan and, and Alan. From what Alex said in terms mm-hmm. of what he originally had planned, there were apparently different iterations of Panther Soul, mm-hmm. where even as Hurrah was going to take a lesser role, mm-hmm. that it was going to be like two separate stories that eventually joined in together. Colo was always going to be, or, or some versions of some of the characters are always going to be a part of that story. But in addition to your personal health issues, yeah. Alex mentioned that he was worried about having Hrau be too prominent in this story <laughs> because at her level, with Seth's healing ability, she could very easily overshadow everybody else in terms of just being too good at dealing with <laughs> the problem. Mm. Um, OP. <laughs> yes, exactly. You're a little bit uh, OP for this circumstance. But when you have a JRPG sequel, you don't start with the characters from the first game. As you say, they're OP. They overleveled. I've leveled up. This is mm. my final form. Yeah, mm. I mean, I've brought this up numerous times in like different shows, but one of my favorite bits that I don't know if you caught it when you were reading it, Maureen, but when Colo is having to chase after uh, Leah and is navigating the urban jungle and he makes a comment to himself that you know if he was a hunter he like this situation would be a whole lot easier but he's having to struggle his way through it and that was to me just Alex doing a sly wig saying it's like yeah look I know Colo is the new hotness and everything but like let's be real he sort of sucks in this situation (laughs) it's not his strong point He's mm-hmm. good at punch-ups. He's not good at chasing people down, particularly when Leah, this is her city, and therefore she's very good at navigating it. Home but advantage. Mm-hmm. But we have also seen Prow's action scenes in Steamheart and Tiger's Eye, and we know that this is the thing that she's built for. She is a lean, powerful, fast hunter. She would not have had as nearly as much problems <laughs> getting Leah for, to begin with. Not to but mention she's used that... she's dealing with little scamps. Yeah, mm. she's used to dealing with little scamps, and Leah wouldn't be able to dig into Hrau's ego the way she mm. was able to dig into Kolo's. And, like, let's think about this. If Kolo was in some of the scenarios in Tiger's Eye, like when the animals were pursuing uh, Miguel yeah. and Hrau, the fuck is Kolo gonna do? He can't <laughs> punch all those birds, like... I'm going yeah. to use my charisma. <laughs> <laughs> there is nothing yeah. I can punch or sleep with. Like... <laughs> monkeys. I'm going monkeys. to seduce, me, I'm going to seduce the monkeys. Seduce the monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> People have the same idea at the same time. Yeah, buddy, that's not gonna that's not gonna turn out so well for you. <laughs> the original question is: is that now having read the book, mm. do you have any thoughts on how things would have played out differently? if Crow was actually in the mix <laughs> as being part of the group. Apart from the book being shorter. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that is kind of... I mean, I kind of kept expecting her... I mean, I knew she didn't, but, like, in my head, I was like, if she showed up right now, sorted. Like, <laughs> <laughs> 
it's missing. When is the Frau Ex Machina going to get here? <laughs> yeah, well, and it was, you know, they, the Smilotron was basically that. Mm-hmm. But if they didn't have that, she would have been that. She would have mm-hmm. been the, the Deus Ex Machina showing up and just wrecking face. Because, mm-hmm. like, don't fuck around with other cats. I will just have to murder all of you now. Thank you. Bye. What probably happened was just like uh, Hrau was like, oh, I really want to be the Hrau X Machina to this, but I think I already cashed my chip in for Steamheart. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say, you don't <laughs> want to repeat the same thing too much. And she already kind of had her superhero landing moment when she appears in Green Hollow yeah. and dramatically changes the tide of the it's, battle there. It's an ability cooldown, you know, you need to just like sort of. <laughs> You know, give it a few more books. We need the wind doors can... to start opening up, and I would say on your left, and it would be like yeah. the whole thing, and it would be, yeah. you know, <laughs> and it would be great. And I don't have the whole main character thing. Like, I I, I don't need to be the main character in every book. I think Crow needs more screen time because she's freaking awesome. Mm-hmm. But I understand why. I mean, she mm-hmm. had her time to shine in Tiger's Life, and I love that book and i love the character and i love the whole thing that was an amazing experience and it sort of twisting and turningly got me a husband so i'm not mad like that was <laughs> you know worked out but, is it strange that that's still a difficult thought to wrap my head around <laughs> look everything has happened so quickly here that every now and then i forget that when we refer to each other we're husband and wife, or yeah, hubbin and weefy, and sometimes I forget, okay, no, no, it's not girlfriend, it's not fiancé, <laughs> it's wife. She yeah. is my wife now. That is, that is the top-tier ranking. Yeah, like, Sarah yeah. and I are just about get, getting used to say, like, oh, hi, wife, and then she'll say, hi, husband, so, mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know, it, the two-year mark seems to be when that sort of settles in. <laughs> I mean, it's only been a few months, so... But anyway, but yeah, it. Um, I love the character and I, I'd love to see her shine more, but she's, look, she's been through some shit. Mm-hmm. So like, she can take a moment. She can have some R&R. Mm-hmm. She can just kind of chill. Like, Colo and Stardancer and Beatrix and Leah, this was their, their time to shine. And, yeah. and they did. Mm. And I, I feel like Literally Leah, in Colo's case. Yes. I think Leah and Harry would get along really well, and I would love to see a, a mashup with those two. But, like, yeah, I, I do think she would have just wrecked face mm-hmm. if she'd shown up on the scene and been like, mm-hmm. oh, look, more violence. Let me have mm-hmm. some. Okay, thanks, bye. Well, here's a question, because mm-hmm. I said this uh, previously when we were talking about, you know, Maximus never got the chance oh, to. I... Uh, yeah, I know. Sorry, since it might not be obvious, that was just Maureen having an emotional moment remembering Maximus. When Maximus got stabbed in the heart, so did we. So we never got to see whether he, how he would fare in the trial by fire. Mm-hmm. Oh. How would Rao mm. fare? Oh. I think she'd been fine. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> genuinely, I think she would. Like, She's come to terms. Yeah. Like, it doesn't mean that there isn't going to be new trials to face, mm. but the thing that would have held her back is the thing that she kind of already resolved inside mm. of herself. And, and now, even though 
she's kind of you know the Thor of the group, or like because we don't have an M- we don't have a direct MCU I'm, reference here. I'm excuse me. <laughs> Look, I'm sorry. I love right. Me it, some Thor. Okay. Yes. She's okay. smarter she, than that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but also based on everything you've told me, Prow is on some level more the Hulk. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'll go with that. She's smart Hulk. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But that's that's why her role, as you say, whenever she enters the situation, it immediately she's like the powerhouse. So it immediately gets more easy to deal with on a purely physical level. But that's why I'm most interested in the emotional stuff and the character work that might come from her introduction to new characters and her reintegration with old characters. And I really honestly not just because I want more Spencer in my life. I'm I'm hoping that the unspoken resolution that happened at the end of Tiger's Eye and a little bit at the end of Panther Soul gets a little bit more screen time. Even even though I know it's not actually the two of you in a room acting off each other, that it's all just like recorded separately and then yeah. Alex edits edits it together. In my head, in my heart, I just feel like an interaction between Frau and Beatrix or Frau and Haka is like you getting together with these wonderful people again and getting to act off each other as if you were in a room together and the Mm -hmm. camera was rolling. There's a collaborative electrical magic trick being Mm -hmm. pulled between the artistic performances and techniques that everyone from... Alex is a writer, Alex is an editor, mm-hmm. and each of you individually putting your heart and soul into the words and voices and characters. And that's why for Greg and myself, we know how the sausage is made. We've met the butcher. Like we <laughs> I know that's how the sausage a weird is made. injury that I did not need. I know how the sausage is made. I'm doing my own editing work now. And I yeah. worked so hard to make Toby look as good as he does. Now. Uh-huh. Hey Screw now. you, you lovely fellow. <laughs> <laughs> your work is appreciated. Mm-hmm. Your snide remarks less so, but uh, your work is appreciated. I did want to kind of piggyback off of what you were talking about with regards to, you know, acting against the other characters. Reading the lines yes i'm not acting against another person actively at that time but i know what the other characters are going to be saying because i have the script in front of me so i can Mm. see what i'm saying and what they're saying and so i can visualize in my head Mm. in my ears you know what this makes me think of have you ever been part of or seen art projects where there will be a a single image but the image is sort of cut up and divided into different portions and each person will paint or draw like a a little square of it knowing what the rest knowing what its place in the rest of it will be without necessarily seeing what each of the artists are doing i mean another more common example in this day and age are those little animation compilations you'll see on youtube where like people Uh, reanimate like i don't know an episode of spongebob and you get like one is someone doing a live action bit one is someone doing like stop motion or one is just someone doing complete abstract things but the framework is 
there and mm. even if you don't see what other people are doing and that's kind of the meaning of collaborative art in my head is just that idea of that you're each putting down a piece of the track mm-hmm. knowing that it will connect with something like having that complete confidence that it is not going to just end up being this thing that happens in isolation mm-hmm. and then when it comes together we feel like it is all by design well in the in the audiobooks that i have recorded and that we have done especially tiger's eye the characters have come to life for me in a way that when i'm recording against lines from beatrix or from haka i feel like i'm talking to them like i feel like i'm not it's not that i'm talking to an empty air i'm talking to these characters like i'm talking to them in my mind and you did mention i think after reading the book that as you got into the parts that you that were specifically about Rao, yeah. It brought back to memory when you recorded those moments. Yeah. And so therefore it was very easy for you to hear those written words in your voice. Yes. In particular because you'd already said them. Yes. But it sounds mm. like what you're saying is that when you're reading the script, you're hearing the lines of other people in the actors' voices as well. So that, as you say, helps it come to life for you as you're moving along the characters themselves i'm gonna sound slightly crazy i'm not but i'm gonna sound slightly crazy because tiger's eye was such a large chunk of time Mm. and i put so much into it i mean obviously i put a lot of work into all of the other characters that i've done but tiger's eye specifically was so much of myself i feel like i sort of put myself into the book too so going back to Rama felt a little bit like going home. Mm. And so interacting with his characters again was familiar. And Beatrix and Haka and Gagaku and yada, 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 yada was all very, yeah, okay, there you are. Like, cool, let's hang out. Mm. <laughs> yes. One of the things she specifically mentioned is, but like, it was wonderful to hear in Sharon's Russian accent, Mrs. Pointy. Yeah. <laughs> Big fan. Big That's... fan. And I, I and when you were talking about Maximus, I actually, I asked Greg specifically, I said, you know, do you have any favorite characters? Other than Frau, because I know. But, <laughs> but I said, from Panthersol, you know, do you have any favorite characters? Because I, honestly, Maximus, to me, just hit me like a ton mm. of bricks. And I, I would have loved to spend more time with him. And I would have loved, loved for him to have met Poppy. Rao's father, Junta. Oh, yeah. They would have broke down so hard. Oh. The dads would have just had the best time. They would have had like a barbecue and they would have drunk some beer. <laughs> they would have talked about their stupid daughters <laughs> and like. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> yeah, I just, it was like a, it was a mm. whole thing where I was just like, oh, that's a, that's a storyline that can never happen. And I'm so sad about it. Yeah. I would have loved that. That's <laughs> great. That's what we feel uh, with a successful character death is that grief for yeah. what can't be now. What we have here with this, I 
believe this is the last interview we have on Panther Soul now, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It? Uh, no, 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 this, this, this is the last Again, I'm bit. the holdout. <laughs> and I'm, no, and, and I'm going to edit so much. You're not the You are the... Look, it's the perfect way to conclude because you are the way that this book begins and ends, in that essence. That is true, yeah. And everything about it, I, I'm having one of those moments where I'm just getting so caught up by the excitement and the emotion of it that I sort of lose my original point but to try to actually articulate something of merit having Frau, having you be part of this story and what you said a moment ago about how tiger's eye was something that took on a part of you in that same way that we were talking about that like it's like the positive version of what we were talking about with Frau and the new nature that she has because of Seth and the time there and everything is that the reason that I think Rama holds a special place for kind of everyone who has touched New Century, whether it's the author, the readers, uh, mad bastards who decide to start a podcast about it, (laughs) and the performers, is that it is this setting that more than any of the others has actually kind of come alive like it has kind of gone beyond Alex because it has this element of the people who come into contact with it leave a part of themselves in it and you could say the same for all of the stories so Mm. maybe this isn't actually getting at the heart of what what's special about Rama at the very least I can say that Rama is one of those places that you step into and you take a part of it with you and you leave a part of yourself in there. And this isn't so big headed or, and like unnecessarily so because the little grazing it that like Greg and I have done in that there are characters in Rama who exist and have names because of what we're doing here, Grex and uh, Tobias (laughs) just like, Never, and just voicing that like one line, it felt special. It felt really kind of great to just have a little fingerprint on an ever-developing jungle canvas. And I just, there's not really a point to what I'm saying here other than to just express a feeling, which is that Rama is special. Tiger's Eye, Panther Soul, these Rama books are special and i said this back when we first met and i will say it all the time for the duration of what i hope will be a friendship that lasts a lifetime rama tiger's eye and frau are as special as they are because of you maureen and thank you (laughs) you talk now greg (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, no, I'm sorry. I didn't want to interrupt the emotional moment, especially since I was going to, to respond to a couple of things that Toby got into. Please do, I'm done. I've rambled um, for thoughts. Fair enough. As far as favorite characters in New Century, it's hard for me to answer that because my favorite characters are always the ones that touch me the most emotionally. And there are so many characters in New Century canon that have successfully done that whether we're talking about Loretta's performance of Annie, whether we're talking about your performance as Frau, 
And from a purely performative standpoint, Willow's breakout performance of Leah, which you have not heard yet, is one of the strongest parts of Panther Soul to me. Mm. But I remember telling you when you asked me that from a storytelling perspective, mm. my favorite character in Panther Soul was specifically Beatrix mm. because of the whole transformation from antagonist in the first book to hero redeeming herself in the second book. Mm -hmm. But in response to why Rama feels special, this is just speaking for me. Toby and Maureen have given their reasons. And I know even Alex has said before that he wishes he could live in Rama. But once more, I digress. It's partly to do with something I, I'm, I feel like I'm having a greater appreciation of. And it's dovetailing a little bit with a conversation that Toby and I were having in Beyond the Windor the other day, which is that the world of Centrum, or even like, you know, the version of London that takes place in Princess Thieves, it feels like it comes from a place of reconstruction, like a place that was damaged, whether we're talking about the United States or we're talking about the UK, as mm -hmm. a result of the Wendigo outbreak. And so, therefore, it has more of a feel to it of the patchwork like settings a patchwork setting but like like a, this is a post-apocalypse mm. so they're having to rebuild everything and therefore it has a far and, and with all of the compromised morality and all of the ugliness that is going on there there's a far grayer feel to that world which is still trying to heal from its wounds in point of fact the characters could be considered the most colorful parts of Centrum, thanks to all the work that Antonio Torreson did, bringing the characters to life on the book covers. Taking, of course, from the color theory direction of Alex. But from our very first moment of Tiger's Eye, that world feels vibrant and alive, whether we're talking about the red jungles that Durga tribe lives in, or as we move into Panther Soul, the sprawling landscapes from the snowy mountains where we begin with Colo to the open sea with Beatrix to the various hodgepodge metropolises of Bastarian and Leonidas and the Lynx communities as we get to find where Leah comes from, and even the enormous Sumerian temples that they go into. There is a breadth and an epicness and a world aliveness that just feels like it's baked into every aspect of Rama, even as Rama has its own problems. But the there's... Just... <laughs> Sorry. There's, I'm, there's, just, there's just a different overall feel to the world and the color palette, and that's part of the reason why Rama leaves, I think, based on some of the stuff that Toby was saying, why it leaves such an indelible mark on us to those people that have chosen to partake in that world. It is something both familiar and yet entirely new, and it manages to invoke the imagination and the explorer in all of us, in a way that the best fantasy and sci-fi stories should. Those that have chosen to go through the window. <laughs> Title that's the drop! Name of, that's the name of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
Maureen, is there anything else you want to say about the experience? Anything else you want to add? Since Toby has already said that he's done. I'm glad that you've been very persistent. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I'm not the best at remembering to do things. And my wonderful husband has been very encouraging. I mean, you've also kept having all of the other kinds of plans that we would have made interrupted by various things, whether it's all of my family drama or oh. your, you know, medical drama on occasion. What? So you have family drama? I have no idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's for another podcast. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. No. Not doing that laundry on anything. No. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. And I but again, I you know, I need to catch up on my my reading and whatnot. So You should definitely, you know, I mean, you're going to have more to record in the near future for um, whatever lines various, he throws at me. Yeah, well, various books. Just again, just from the perspective of you should really hear Willow's performance. Yes, darling. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Wow, you wow. can really tell we're married. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is. That is one of the, the best things. I mean, you know, obviously the first interview about Tiger's Eye was, you know, me talking about how wonderful it was to, to play Harrow. And then and then the, the happy accident of that was meeting both of you and then pursuing this one with the fiery vengeance. Vengeance? Oh, dear. Did, did I? I mean, uh, passion. Passion. <laughs> uh, All I can hear now is just that, like, one Spider-Man animated bit where it's just, like, Maureen as Rao, like the chasing Greg. It's like, get back here, Greg! Greg! <laughs> you can't escape me! I'll chase you to the ends of the earth! Kind of. <laughs> so that's our podcast. <laughs> this has been this has been really fun and I love being able to come on with you guys and help with the podcast in any way I can. So anytime you want to have me on, just to even be a third voice, just for whatever the hell, shits and giggles. and Well, as you and I have already discussed, yeah, when we have, like, we're recording slower than before. Yeah. But because we're continuing to do things that are not specifically New Century yes. on our plate, and yes. because of the success we've been having with having Alejandra on, Toby, when you and I finally get around to doing that, promised a year ago now podcast on everything everywhere all at once oh. <laughs> maureen will be joining us because she maureen. had her own experience with the film and i feel like that will add further context and texture to a conversation that was originally just going to be you and me so i mean i am always very fond of having maureen for company and i <laughs> think that uh, the feeling is uh, shared by my editor and co-host, so she's kind of nice to have around. Yeah. <laughs> Any excuse to have you on is one that I will happily seize. So thank you so much for uh, coming on and making this a very, not just a very good uh, podcast, but an evening that I'm very glad I had. Aww. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that doubled the size of the episode. So, y'all got your time's worth. Next time, we'll be doing some more Beyond the Wind Door with Alejandra, 
and then finally return to the Steamheart retrospective, where we will once more get to talk about Rao. We're going to end the only way we can with a cover of an important song done by one of my favorite female artists. We'll see you around the multiverse on another trip through the wind door. When the night has come And the land is dark And the moon is the only light we'll see No, I won't be afraid Oh, I won't be afraid Just as long as you stand Stand by me So darling, darling Stand by me Oh, stand by me Oh, stand now Stand by me Stand by me If the sky that we look upon Should tumble and should crumble to the sea I won't cry I won't cry no I won't shed a tear just as long as you stay stand by